Um, if, if you have your Bibles, turn to John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, thank you for Jesus and for Mary. God, thank you for what this story um, this event has to teach us and I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds today to think deep and true thoughts not just about the Bible but about you Jesus and about how we're meant to relate to you God I pray that Mary would be our teacher today regardless of our gender regardless of our personality type Regardless of whether we're a head type or a heart type, I pray that we would see in Mary an example for all of us. Help us to know what that means for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Bethany is just outside Jerusalem, and Martha and Mary and Lazarus are siblings, and Jesus loves Bethany. Uh, he seems to show up here in unplanned and unscripted moments. This is a spot, I think, outside of the 12 disciples. Uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus are most likely Jesus' closest friends. They are uh, like family to him. And so what we see in the life of Jesus is that uh, when he needed to get outside of Jerusalem, when he was headed to Jerusalem or leaving, he oftentimes found himself at Martha and Mary's Lazarus's home. Last week, we looked at the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, specifically during church on Sunday, we looked at the story of the younger brother who uh, went into a place of rebellion and squandered a lot of uh, resources. And then he came home and the father welcomed him home. And then we looked in the middle of the week, I recorded and posted a podcast that reflected on the, uh, the older brother um, who is really struggling with entitlement and jealousy and scarcity and how the father left the party and went out to try to welcome him home as well well if those stories are about the father pursuing us then this one is about us and how we might pursue jesus what it looks like to give to him that which he is due as a person who is in relationship with him and so i'm going to walk through this story we're just going to name a few different movements and my prayer for you is that you would um, begin to look at your life and to begin to think about where the Lord would be inviting you to grow in making room for Jesus and your affection for him, your relationship with him. So there are four primary players in this story, Jesus, Martha, Mary, and Judas. And we're going we're gonna to hold those four characters and we're going to think about those four characters as we try to take this moment seriously. So number one, Jesus is the guest of honor at a dinner party. And I just want you to imagine what this would have been like. He has recently resurrected. He has recently brought Lazarus back from the dead. So Lazarus is there at the party. 
I bet that made for a you know, hot ticket. You know, people wanted to come and be like, there's Jesus, there's the guy that was dead. And we know that Lazarus had been dead for four days. And so everyone in town was like, dude was really dead. And now there he is at dinner. And Jews actually did take this stuff very seriously. They, um, they believed that the spirit of a person could hover around their body for a number of days after death. But when you got to four, it was like he was like legitimately dead, gone. And now he's at dinner. And so there's this moment where Jesus is presumably being honored for something he's done in the lives of this family, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They invite their friends and they're all there. And before we jump too far into this, I just want to say to you, when Jesus does something in your life, it is really good to honor that something. We have a tendency, I think, to just sort of barrel ahead and just keep on moving. And then we forget sometimes or we mute the work of God in our lives. We just sort of kind of file it away and move on. And then we, we become forgetful. I think that as a society, we're more forgetful when it comes to God's past work. And so I just want to say to you, as we move especially into the Easter season, when God does something, it is really good for you to stop and name it out loud, to say, you, you have done something. And sometimes that can be a family dinner. It can be inviting friends over. It, it might just be lighting a candle in your prayer space to name the work of God. Well, anyway, Jesus is being celebrated for his work. He's done something good for these people. And they're now throwing a party to say, thank you. I think the Lord wants us to be the kinds of people who throw more parties to say thank you to Jesus, that give thanks for his faithfulness, the good things that he does in our lives. The second thing we see in this story is that Martha is serving the guest. And um, I've spent time in, in churches where sermons have been preached that really just throw Martha under the bus, like completely, you know, don't be like Martha, be like Mary. And I just want to say, um, if you uh, haven't been paying attention to the narrative of the Bible in terms of the way you've read it. Martha, there was a time where she was acting out of some sort of anxiety and competition and comparison with her sister. And she's like, Jesus, don't you care that I'm doing all the work and my sister's just sitting here learning from you? And Jesus looked at Martha and he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about lots of things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary's doing that one thing. Because of that, there have been some who say that service and hospitality are like anxious and inferior gifts. And I just want to say right here, Martha is serving Jesus again, and there is no sense of rebuke coming to Martha. She is creating a space for God and for other people to enjoy themselves. If you have a gift of service and hospitality, I would ask in Jesus' name that you would embrace and welcome that gift. And y'all, I'm not talking about men and women. Because right now, Mary is occupying a space that we're going to sit with around being with Jesus. And Martha is occupying a service space with Jesus. Regardless of our gender or our personality profile, if you are wired toward hospitality and service, I just want to say I think Jesus really loves that. And I want to speak blessing over it. One of the things that I think we're looking at, even in our church, it's like with things like Alpha and kids ministry and welcoming and greeting, we need people who will welcome the gift of hospitality and open up the door for other people. Your neighbors need that. I believe Jesus blesses Martha as she serves. And if you have a gift of hospitality, the Lord wants to bless that natural gift and he wants to say yes to it. The third thing we see here is that Mary pours perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, if you don't know how it works, this seems really weird. 
So, like, I imagine Jesus, like, sitting. Whoa, that was weird. Um, I imagine Jesus sitting at a table. I might have broke, broken that. Um, and he's, like, sitting here, and there's a table. And then you imagine, like, Mary crawling under the table and pouring things on his feet. That would be super weird. Like, my dog sits under our table, and we imagine, like, was she crawling around down there? Like, what was going on? So to understand the way the, the, the world worked at the time of Jesus, the table would have been really low. There would have been cushions all around it. And people would, like, chill at the table. They'd, like, recline, and their legs would be out. So it would have been really easy for Mary to get to Jesus' feet. And that's really important. Like this was something that she had either planned or it was a spontaneous act. But what we see is that Mary presumably gets up from the table and she goes back to another part of their home and she gets a, a pound of pure nard, really expensive perfume. Judas tells us how much it's worth, a year's worth of wage for a laborer. So this is like, a significant family heirloom. This is something that either she secured or that she was, had brought into this scenario that had come as like inheritance. It could have been regardless, her purchasing it or her inheriting it and holding it, whatever it was that got her to the place of possessing this was the result of a massive investment of family resources over time. Now, if you'll remember last week, a younger son took long accumulated family resources and wasted them in his own way on his own self. And now we see someone taking accumulated resources from a family and pouring those things on Jesus. We're meant to see the parallels here. We're meant to see that this reality of taking that which has been accumulated, we can either spend it in reckless ways or we can spend it on Jesus or we can withhold it for fear of the breaking, for fear of the relinquishing and the releasing. This is one of those moments where when Mary comes into the room and she begins to pour perfume on her feet, she is actually doing something um, super embarrassing and extravagant. The, the next movement we see is that she begins to dry his uh, feet with her hair. And in the day of Jesus, for a woman to have untied hair, Two things, one of two things had to be happening. She was either in intense grief or she was in a scandalous space. Um, so it was a, a, a viewed as prostitution almost most likely being what was going on if a woman had unbound hair or that she was in such a state of grief that her hair had come down. So what we see in Mary here is that she is crossing all sorts of lines to be near to Jesus, and she's doing so in a way that is actually really costly to her, both in terms of spending or wasting, if you will, something accumulated over time, resources that would have been her family's resources, and in terms of just her own reputation. She's pushing beyond. And this has got me to thinking about the spaces where the Lord wants us to consider whether or not we're pushing out of our comfort zones. I just want you to imagine for a moment what the room would have smelled like. When I was a freshman in college, my roommate and I decided to take 
the very large bottle of polo sport cologne that he had been given for Christmas and pour the whole thing on both of us and go and sit in the visitor section at a college basketball game. We changed the atmosphere in the room. We also got desperately ill. It, um, like, I've never had a headache like that headache. It was horrible. And yet we cleared the entire visitor section out. Everyone left. It, mission, mission accomplished. Mary was willing in this moment to be disruptive. She was willing to come out of hiding. The safe thing for Mary to do as a woman in, in a time that was deeply patriarchal would have been to stay hidden, would have been to sort of like find out where her spot was and stay in her spot. And yet what she does is she moves toward Jesus in a way that actually people have to deal with it. And, and I've been asking myself three questions as I've been thinking about and praying about this text this week. Number one, am I willing to assume risks in my life with God? Like when was the last time I pushed out of my comfort zone? I think for Mary, she took two risks. She risked physically and she risked emotionally. Uh, physically, she actually like got down at Jesus' feet, untied her hair, and she did something that changed the room physically. And I would just ask you, when, when was the last time you assumed a kind of risk where you pushed out of your comfort zone and it involved something more than just your headspace? She like did something that people had to deal with. She did something that cost her. And for some of us, it might be like going from this posture in our worship to this posture or this posture. It might be doing something that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And you recognize that sometimes when we do things, it's not the thing that's magic. It's the doing of a thing that gets us out of our heads and into a space to where we're actually risking something. What does it look like for you to risk? It might be to move toward a family member or a neighbor. I think I broke that. worked at the first service when I sat down, I promise. It might mean moving into a space to where you are actually um, opening up your life in a physical way to do something that you otherwise would not have done. What does it look like for you to do that? Mary also, though, risked emotionally. Up until the last 10 months, I have not taken regular time to check in on how I'm doing and whether I am in an emotional space of openness toward God and toward other people. It just wasn't a part of my imagination, but now I am. I, I'm asking questions around emotion because one of the things that we have to recognize when it comes to our emotion is this. We are not just thinking things. We are not just brains on a stick. Mary teaches us through her body and through her emotional engagement that we are deep feeler people, that God wants you to tap into your emotional life. The dominating emotion of children of light should be love. It should be movement toward love. And we see Mary embodying that in a really powerful way. So the first question I want to ask you is, are you willing to assume risks in your devotion to the Lord? The second thing I want you to consider is, are you offering things of value to God? 
And I'm specifically thinking of your time and your energy and your resources. Are we opening up? And the reality here is the thing of value, it's not about like emptying a bank account or, you know, buying something extravagant and then just, you know, getting rid of it. Um, it's about taking the thing that we would hold back and being willing to break it open and see it spent. And what Mary teaches us in this moment is that rather than say, I need to hold that in reserve, she gives of herself in a way that actually shows that she's letting go of scarcity and she's open to giving to Jesus something of value. What do you have of value? Is it a gift? Is it the gift of your time? Is it reorienting your life around devotion and spaces in your morning or something that actually is quantifiable, that it's something of value? I believe that to follow the example of Mary, he wants us to be those who think about the value in our lives and where he would ask us to give him things of value. And then here's the third question I've been asking myself. Like Judas, do I find myself embarrassed or frustrated when people are extravagant? None of us want to identify with Judas. I mean, I've never met a kid named Judas. No Hitlers, no Judas. It's just not a name that we, we hear. Here's what N.T. Wright says, one of my favorite scholars. He says, are you with the cautious, prudent, reliable Judas? As he must have seemed to most of them, looking after the meager resources of a group without steady or settled income, anxious to provide for their needs and still have something left to give to the poor. Wright says, put aside your natural inclination to distance yourself from Judas. After all, even at the last moment, none of the other disciples had suspected him of treachery. Can you see just a glimpse of him as you look in the mirror? None of us want to see Judas when we look in the mirror. And yet I have to ask myself the question, when someone is extravagant, when someone abases themselves, when someone actually um, steps out of their comfort zone, do I find myself kind of distancing and thinking, oh, I don't know, that was a little embarrassing. Or I'm not sure how wise that was. Or do I find myself saying, how do I move away from that instinct into something where I myself am moving out of my comfort zone? Are you with Judas or Mary? Here's a question I want us to hold before we come to communion. What might it look like for you to step out of your comfort zone to express vulnerability and gratitude to Jesus in this season of your life? And then a companion to that would be, what are the barriers to this movement? I believe the Lord wants to get us unstuck in some really practical ways and yet it takes time for us to reflect on where we're stuck and where God might be, might be inviting us to step out of our comfort zone. You can't think your way to the abundant life. We have to actually begin to move closer to Jesus. And I think Mary teaches us something, something really, really important. So here's what we're gonna do for just a few moments before we come to communion. We're gonna be still, we're gonna be quiet. If you have a journal this would be a time to journal if you have a note application on your phone this is an opportunity to do that and you can take a picture of this um, I would ask us to spend a couple of minutes really contemplating this question asking the question where what's God inviting you to do 
and then we're going to pray. We'll come. It's getting a little weird up here. We'll come to communion, but first let's be still.